Some of you may remember that on my 39th birthday, I announced that I would try to lose 40 pounds by the time I turned 40 last January. Well, it began very well. Uh, by the five-month mark, I had lost 22 pounds. I was disciplined. I was focused. And I wanted to reach my goal. And then many of you have asked me, have noticed that I have been rather silent the second half of the year to share and update with you my goal. The fact that I haven't said anything is because I didn't reach it. The problem was that I fell into the same pitfalls that I'd fallen into before on my many diets. I'd like to blame the trips I make to the U.S. or speaking trips to Europe, uh, social obligations, uh, meetings over meal as the reason I didn't reach my goal. But truth be told, the reason I didn't make it was because I simply fell into the pitfall of loving to eat late-night snacks. People tell me, Pastor, you need to change your lifestyle. But I don't want to. I enjoy food so much. And so although I began very well, I didn't finish very well, and I have nothing to share with you. Maybe 50 at 50, 10 years down the road, we'll see. You know, starting well, as you've heard many times, is very important, but it's even more important to finish well. According to a Bible scholar at Dallas, the Bible presents more than a hundred leaders, more or less, for us to follow. And yet, out of those hundred plus leaders presented in the Bible, two-thirds of them did not finish well. hundred leaders all started out well. Two-thirds of them didn't finish well. Imagine, only one-third of the hundred leaders in the Bible finished well. Those who didn't finish well included people like Solomon in the Old Testament or Demas in the New. How can we finish well? That's what we want to take a look at as we begin our new sermon series entitled Kings and Kingdoms. We're going to be looking primarily at the kings of Judah, specifically using the book of Second Chronicles, to see how some kings started out so well, but they ended up so badly. And yet in some cases, how kings were able to maintain their walk with God until the very end. We're going to look at kingdoms and nations that began so well in the worship of God, and yet slowly but surely, in minor things that they allowed to become very major, led to the downfall of those nations. We need to understand and be aware of the pitfalls of our lives, most often reflected in our attitudes, so that we will not stumble across the finish line, so that we will finish as strongly as we started. Now we'll begin with the Judean king next week, but this week I want to begin by looking at an entire tribe of Israel that fell. And they fell because they did not deal with a very common attitude that all of us have struggled with. That is the pitfall of discontent. The pitfall of discontent. I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 18, looking at verses 1 to 31. Judges chapter 18, verses 1 to 31. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Judges is towards the first part of your Bible, 
after the first five books, we have Joshua, and then we get to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 18. Now, as you're turning to Judges chapter 18, you will remember that the tribe of Dan were a group of people who descended from the fifth son of Jacob, later to be called Israel. And if you remember, Joshua led them into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River from the east, and when they had generally conquered the land of Canaan, God gave the 12 tribes of Israel special land allocation. In fact, since the time of Abraham, the land of Canaan was given to the people of Israel by God. In fact, Abraham legally bought the land, as the book of Genesis recounts. Now, in their respective tribal land allocations, each of the 12 tribes of Israel were responsible to drive out the remaining people who were occupying their land. Dan was given land by God that comparatively to the other tribes was a little bit smaller, but it was some of the best land. It was some of the most fertile land in all of the land of Canaan. To its west was the boundary of the Mediterranean Sea, and from this access to the sea, they could develop a thriving fishing industry. And because of their strategic location towards the center of the land of Canaan, they were strategically placed where they could be the commercial hub of the entire region. All that to say is that God gave the tribe of Dan some of the best land in all of Canaan. But there was a problem with the Danites. What was their problem? Their problem was that they were discontent. They didn't like the land that God had given them. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. We find out in verse 1, it was the time of the judges. There was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so the Bible states that the Danites didn't want the land that God had given them. And so they began to look for an inheritance for them to dwell in. And here's the problem of that statement. God had already given them an inheritance. It was a good inheritance. It was a good land. But they were discontent. They were not content with the land that God had given them. They thought they were smarter than God. They did not trust God that he had their best plan in mind. And he had indeed their best plan in mind, but they wanted something else. And so they didn't claim their rightful inheritance. Verse 1 notes at the end that until that day, the tribes of Israel, especially Dan, had not fallen to them. Until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. They had not fully conquered the land that God had given them and as God has instructed. Why? Because when you want another piece of land, you're not going to work hard at the one God has given you. Perhaps they thought that the people living in their land was too strong. They didn't want to put in the hard work to throw out the occupiers of their land and to begin to cultivate the beautiful land that God had given them. They want something nicer, perhaps. They wanted something easier to get. And they were discontent. Sounds a lot like people today. Sounds a lot like Christians today. We're the same way. 
We look at what other people have, and we want what they have. You know the quote, the grass is greener on the other side, but we like the green grass on the other side. But then I came across this quote. You may think that the grass is greener on the other side, but if you take time to water your own grass, it would be just as green. Isn't that great? You may think that the grass is greener on the other side, but if you take the time to water your own grass, it would have been just as green. If only the Danites had stayed in the land that God had given them, if only they had fully conquered the land and developed the land, it would have been a great land. If only we began to appreciate the things that God has given us. And yet, in their discontent, it would lead to their destruction. And there are four steps. Let's take a look. Step one, verse two to six. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtaol, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, go, search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. While they were in the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? He said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God, that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord will be with you on your way. The Bible tells us that the Danites were not content, and so they sent out five spies to look for a better land in Canaan. And as they were traveling north, they came to the land of Ephraim, and they happened to come upon the house of Micah. And there they met a young Levite priest, and they inquired of God. They asked him to inquire of God if this was God's purpose for them to find this land. Will God bless this journey of theirs? And this young Levite said, yes, God will bless it. Now, if you don't know the background of this story, you say, wow, these five spies are such righteous people. They want to ask of God. But this is where context is important. It's important that you know who Micah is and you know the background of this young Levite. You see, in the preceding chapter, in Judges chapter 17 you'll find out that this man by the name of Micah is not a very good man. Why? What did he do? Judges chapter 17 tells us that Micah decides to create his own religion. He decides to melt the family silver and to create a false idol where he and his family will worship. And in fact, he made other homemade gods. Why? Because verse 6 of the previous chapter in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so Micah says, I'm going to create my own religion. I'm going to create my own God. Anyway, Micah met a young Levite from Judah and somehow was able to convince him to be the new high priest of his false religion that he had set up. And he was able to convince this young Levite, perhaps by telling him, hey, young Levite, you're a low-level priest. No one knows you. Why don't you come and be one of my priests? You can be the high priest. And yet it was a false religion. These five spies knew the entire story. Verse 3, 
they asked him his story, and Levi, this young Levi, told it to them. Told them how Micah had hired him, and how he became priest of this pagan religion. Of course, these spies should have known better. They should have seen that this setup was completely wrong. The priests that God had set up were to serve him, not to serve Micah. If these five Danite spies were people who were righteous, they would have had nothing to do with Micah and this Levite. But instead, to our surprise, they asked this Levite to ask God, probably little g, to see if their trip would be blessed. It's ironic and it's sad because the answer from the Levite of blessings for this trip was not from the one true God. You see, these five were on a mission that was definitely not God-ordained or God-instructed because God had given them another land. But they were willing to accept a fake blessing from a pagan priest only to have this quote-unquote God justify their trip. You see, what I want you to show you, number one, about discontent is that, number one, discontent leads to clouded judgment. When we are discontented, it clouds our minds. It clouds our judgment. We cannot see clearly what is right and wrong. Why? Because we see what we want. Because if we want something so badly, if we are discontent with the life that we have, and we want the life of someone else, the money of someone else, the wife of someone else, the children of someone else, the lifestyle of someone else, we will look through the lenses of how we can try to get it at all costs. You remember Esau in the Old Testament? I've often read that story and wondered why in the world would Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup? And I hate lentil soup. Can't even imagine why someone would sell their birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And yet, we read from the book of Genesis that he wanted it so badly he was discontent in his hunger. He coveted what that bowl of soup meant to him, that he was willing to trade away his birthright just to be able to get his hands on that bowl of soup. Discontentment leads to clouded judgment. I remember a few years ago, there was a young man who came to see me, and I have his permission to tell the story. He had told me that he was very sad, and I asked him why. And this young man told me he was depressed because he regretted leaving his job, and he wished he had not done so. So I asked him, why did you leave your job in the first place? He said, I was tired of the way my boss treated me. I was tired of the number of hours, the overtime he had me work. I was tired of the slow place slow pace of promotional growth. And I told him these are good reasons to look for another job. But you see, in his discontentment every day working that job, every day he wanted to get out. But in his discontentment, he never bothered to have another job ready for him when he quit his job. In his discontentment, he didn't bother to pray and seek God's counsel. He didn't bother to consult anyone of wisdom. He just left. He was so disillusioned and discontented. And now he couldn't find a job. 
And with all the free time he had, he began to think that maybe his former job wasn't too bad. Now, here's why he came to see me. He asked me, Pastor, why would God lead me to make a decision that was so wrong? I told him up front, clearly, I said, my friend, God was not leading you through this process. You were so discontent with that job that you thought what you wanted was what God wanted. So much so that you didn't even consult him. Your leaving wasn't God's leading. It was discontent that led you to a clouded judgment. You see, at the very least, if you had asked for advice, you should have waited until you had another job waiting for you before you quit your current one. It's so simple. That is the advice most of us would give this young man. And yet, discontentment often clouds our judgment. He so thought with his skills, he would be able to find another job, a more ideal one, quickly. Discontent leads to clouded judgment. The second step, verse 7 to 10. So the five men departed and went to Laish. These are the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaol, and their brethren said to them, What is your report? So they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. And look at verse 10. When you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. The five spies went about 100 miles north of Micah's house in Ephraim and came to the city of Laish. There they scouted the land, and they found the land to be really wonderful. It's indeed a beautiful area. I was just there a few weeks ago, just on the foothills of the mountain range of Hermon. The people there didn't look like they would be easy. Uh, they would, uh, they, the people living there looked like they would be easy to defeat. It's a large piece of land. It was easy to capture, secure. No one would bother them. There were no strong rulers living in the area. And these Danites could live as they so pleased. The Bible says in verse 10, the land lacked nothing in their eyes. They coveted this land. It was the perfect piece of land. And if you were a real estate agent in the Old Testament, you would also believe that this land was the perfect piece of land. Such a beautiful land. Hills and mountains that surround this beautiful valley with wonderful source of water from the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee close by. It's a beautiful piece of land. But there was one problem wrong with this land. And the problem was, this was not the land that God had given the Danites. It's as simple as that. It wasn't theirs. But yet, they wanted this land so badly that they were willing to disobey. And here's the second step in their destruction, number two. Discontent leads to disobedience. Discontent leads to disobedience. You see, if you want something so badly, 
you will often do anything and everything, even disobeying the Word of God, to get it. We see this in life today. Spouses who are not content with their married life partners will disobey the explicit Word of God to remain faithful to your husband and wife, only to crave that which is not yours. Someone who wants more money, a better lifestyle, because they can't get that money fast enough, will often use illegal and unethical means to get what they want. Discontent leads to disobedience. One of the questions I often receive from young people is this question. I think it's a question that adults have as well, but they're embarrassed to ask me. Unless they think I'm going to judge you, but I don't. But it's a common question I get from young people. And here's the question. Pastor, do you think it's wrong for me to illegally download torrent files for movies and TV shows? I'm not going to have a show of hands of how many of you do this. Do you think it's wrong for me to illegally download torrent files so that I can watch movies and television series shows? I think the word illegal should already give you a clue if it is right or wrong. But it's a question and so I answer it. I tell them, yes, it's wrong, it's stealing. But then, as we all do, we begin to justify and they would add something like this, Pastor, you know, the only reason I do it is because the movie or the television show I want to watch is not available in the Philippines or it's not available to be purchased in the Philippines. Or they may tell me, Pastor, I just don't have the money to buy the DVD. I don't have the money to buy this box set. Or for others, it's, Pastor, uh, I wasn't able to catch the movie when it was playing the theaters and now I want to watch it, but it won't be available on Blu-ray for a few months and I want to watch it now. And I want you to note their arguments. It's all about wanting something that I cannot have. And this is part of what the entitlement generation and culture, young and old, has done. We demand what we cannot have. It is our right. I must have it. And so we would rather disobey God's word. And we would do something that is illegal just to get what we want. And the reason we're so embraced and emboldened to do something like that is because we can often do it in the privacy of our own homes that no one will ever know. But the source of why we do it, the brute argument, is about wanting something I cannot have access to. You see, my friends, if you are a parent, you have no moral authority to tell your children not to steal something from the store if they see you downloading something illegally over torrent files because that's also stealing. That's why not being someone who preaches from the ivory pulpit. But we understand this in our family. And so sometimes our children watch shows and movies that are months and years old. We wait for it until it is available for purchase online. And technology today with streaming gives you paid services for you to be able to get the shows that you want to watch. You see, it is not a right you and I have to watch the latest movie or the latest episode of a television show. If you don't have the money, you don't get to watch. It's as simple as that. 
If it's not available in the Philippines, so be it. Get a friend from the U.S. or Canada or New Zealand or Australia to buy that box set and send it to you. Learn to wait. It doesn't mean because we want something that we are somehow entitled to it. That is at its root cause a heart of discontent. And discontentment leads to disobedience. And I only mention this to you so that you will be careful in your slippage of character to not allow your character and my character to slip because it's on a downward trajectory that we fall into the pitfall of discontent. The third part. We find out in verses 11 to 18 that after the spies report, 600 men from the tribe of Dan are assembled because they want this land now. And they get themselves ready to capture the city and the country of Laish. Now these 600 armed soldiers, they go north and on their way, they pass by the house of Micah. And look at verse 14, what happens. Then the five men, or the five spies, who had gone out to spy out the country of Laish, answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now therefore consider what you should do. They came by the house of Micah, and these 600 were told by the five spies. We just want to let you know that in these houses is a collection of false idols, a false priest. What do you want to do? You know, the proper response would have been, we should wipe them out as the Bible instructs. The worship of false gods must be wiped out. But instead, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, these 600 in verses 15 to 18, what do they do? Instead of destroying the false god, the worship of the false god in the north, these 600 men came and stole all the idols and embraced it as their own. And it is so sad to see how a tribe of Israel who worshipped the one true God had fallen so far. It only began when they were discontent with the land that God had given them. Now they were discontent with their own belief in the one true God. Now they wanted a religion that was tailored to fit their need. Perhaps these 600 were thinking in their mind, you know what, we're, we're establishing a new home very far north, far away from the worship of the one true God at that moment in Shiloh, in the tabernacle. So you know what, it's too far away. Let's take all of these things and let's set up our own religion up in the north. A few hundred years later, that is the same argument that King Jeroboam would propose to the northern tribes of Israel and set up a place of the false worship of the god Baal in Dan. Because going down all the way to Jerusalem was too far. Set up a religion that was more convenient for them. You see, when we are discontent, number three, especially over spiritual things, we begin to take shortcuts for ourselves and we begin to make up our own spiritual rules. Number three, discontent leads us to make our own rules. Discontentment leads us to make up our own rules. And we do it all the time, even as believers. When God doesn't answer our prayers fast enough, when we earnestly seek 
for something from Him, and He doesn't answer what we want according to our will, what do we do? We try to manipulate, and we say, okay, fine, if, if God doesn't want to answer me the way that I want Him to answer, I'm going to use other religions, and I'm going to use other methods. And in the, the syncretism, that means the mixed religions of our Filipino-Chinese culture, we dabble in everything. Because our God, seemingly the one true God, is, is moving too slowly. Or when we're praying for physical healing, and it doesn't seem like God is answering our physical healing prayer and request. And so we turn to other religions and begin to wear amulets of the Buddhists, or fake concoctions, or whatever, of other religions. Or we go on a pilgrimage, like the Catholics tell us, just so we can manipulate God to accede to what we want. You see, when we are not content with what God wills for us in our lives, it often leads us to make up our own spiritual rules. Because that's what we want. We do this in the Christian life. We substitute the reading of God's Word because we don't have the time to put in to studying it well and asking questions and learning from it. And so we substitute it with devotional books that are light and have wonderful stories. And yes, they may help you, praise God. But we're beginning to substitute it for the reading of God's Word. And sometimes we substitute praying As long as someone else prays, it's good enough. I don't need to pray. They already prayed on behalf of the both of us. You know, we forget that the Bible tells us we are to have an intimate fellowship with God. Or some of us think that coming to church 12 times a year, once a month, is good enough to constitute a regular worship of God. That's pretty regular, 12 times a year, once a month. Really? Talking to God 12 times a year. I hope you get the picture. When we are not content with what God gives us in this life, we begin to manipulate the rules of the spiritual life so that the Bible adjusts to us instead of us adjusting to the Bible. That's what happened to the Danites. They were discontent. And so they began to make up their own rules. And they said, you know what, let's take all of these idols and we will bring it with us north with the goal of establishing another religion. The fourth step. Well, this young Levite tries to challenge the 600 men as they began to steal the idols. I want you to look at verse 19, a very important verse. Look what these 600 men tell this young Levite. And they said to him, verse 19, Be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and priest to us. Underline this, would you? It is better for you to be a priest in the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel. Here's what they were trying to say. Young Levite, come with us. You want to stay here? You want to stay here and just be the priest of one small little family? You can come and you can be the chief priest of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Come with us. And look at how that question spoke to the heart of the priest. Verse 20. So the priest's heart was glad. 
And he took the ephod and the household idols and the carved image and took his place among the people. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. This question in verse 19 spoke to the contentment of this young Levite. Would you rather be a lowly priest to only one family, or do you want to be great and be the high priest of a false religion, but over one of the great tribes of Israel? You see, this question is a dangerous question. It is a question of contentment versus discontent. And number four, discontent often leads us to apostasy. Discontentment or discontent leads us to apostasy. Apostasy means moving away from God, the one true God. This is the question every job recruiter who's trying to pirate you from one firm to another uses to get you to move companies. Do you want to be part of your small little company where your salary is low and you work lots of hours and there's no opportunity for promotion when you can come to my company which is a Fortune 100 company, and you can have this flashy title called vice president, even though everyone is a vice president in our firm. Uh, And you can have upward mobility and, and promotions. Come, we have great benefits. It's a question that speaks to our contentment. Even pastors are not immune from this. That's why pastors move from one church to another. Do you want to be in that small little church of yours? Where there's so much politics, when you would rather come to be part of a mega church with lots of resources. Why am I making such a big deal about this question? Because it's the very question the evil one asks us in our hearts to get us to become discontent with the Christian life and to live the life of the world. You see, Satan whispers into our minds. Do you really want to be a Christian living out the principles of the scriptures? Do you want that boring life of following Jesus Christ? Where you are obliged to to come on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in. And then when you come on a Sunday morning, you're made to feel bad and guilted by the pastor. Like how he tells you you can't download torrents anymore. Some of you wishing you had not come this morning. Do you want that? You could be partying on a Friday. You who had to sleep early on a Saturday because you got to wake up on time on Sunday so that you don't get stared at coming in late. Do you like that? Why don't you tie this life? Where you can party all you want Friday night and Saturday night at BGC. You've had a hard week. You deserve an amazing life. A fun life. A bigger and better life surrounded with the upper echelon of society. You don't want to be tagged as a religious fanatic. Are you really happy that you don't have friends that are of prominence in this community? A bunch of church people. When you can have friends surrounded by women and cars and all the things that speak to the lust of the eyes and the flesh. Are you happy where you are? Play around. No one will find out. Your wife is terrible. Your husband is terrible. It's a big capital of 16 million people. No one will ever know. Are you happy in your boring life as a Christian? It's the same question. 
Same question posed to this young Levite. And the same question the evil one posed to us. If we do not avoid the pitfall of discontent, it will draw us very far away from God. It will lead us to apostasy. We need to understand that when God blesses us in how He has blessed us today in our current life, it's something we should appreciate. God doesn't give us too much, He gives us just enough. I remember a story, a funny one, of two men, two friends, who met on the street one day. One was on the verge of tears, sad. The other friend said to him, What has the world done to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, Let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me 40,000 U.S. dollars. The other friend said, That's a lot of money. You should be happy about it. But the sad friend said, You don't understand. You see, two weeks ago, a cousin I never even knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. The friend said to the sad friend, sounds to me like you've been very blessed. But the sad friend said, you don't understand. He said, last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. Now, the, the other friend was really confused. And he said to the sad-looking friend, Why do you look so forlorn? Why do you look so sad? And the sad friend said to his friend, Because this week no one died and left me any money, and I got nothing. We laugh at the ridiculousness of that story. But it is a picture of us. We can often come to a point where we expect to get certain blessings from God that He's never promised to us. And when they do not come, we become very bitter. We become very bitter. That is the pitfall of discontent. Well, in verses 22 to 26, Micah tries to stop these 600 men, but they are no match for the fighting men of Dan. And in verse 27 to verse 28, the Bible tells us this fighting force of Dan is able to overcome the forces of Laish. And there they are able to secure this land. Look what they did, verse 29. Then they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Jerusalem, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. They named that land Dan. It doesn't matter what you name it. Their father would have rolled in his grave if they knew that they did not conquer the land that God had given them. How much more that they named it after their forefather, who was a child of Jacob, a follower of the living God, Yahweh. Can you imagine that their descendants set up here up in the north, the worship of a false god. They foundation their new community with idols they stole, with the priests who had no conviction and took a land that was not theirs. No wonder these people were destroyed. It was not the Dan that God had wanted them to set up. 
But discontent leads to apostasy. Look at verse 31. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. This last verse is very important. It sets the contrast to show you a people that once walked with God, but now were very far away physically and spiritually from the house of God in Shiloh. Why? Because it all began with an issue of discontent. And that discontent clouded their judgment. And because their judgment was clouded, they disobeyed. Little at first. But then in their disobedience, as it grew, they began to make up their own rules. And as they began to make up their own rules, finally, they fell away in apostasy. May this serve as a warning and a reminder to us about the pitfall of discontent. The Danites did not finish well. What was the result? The result in verse 30. That Dan became the center of idolatry in Israel for 600 years until the Assyrians came and captured the north. You'll find out that in First Chronicles that when the families and the tribes of Israel are listed, Dan is not listed. If you go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 7, in the future... When the list of the 12 tribes of Israel, when the people of Israel will again become a godly witness in the great tribulation, in the book of the Revelation, in the future, chapter 7, Dan is missing. Dan was taken out. Why? Because of apostasy. God removed them. And it all began because they were discontent with the land that God had given you. So they tried to take something that God had not given them. And in the process, they lost everything. Even being listed as one of the 12 tribes of Israel in the future. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We think complaining is not so bad. Complaining. I like what Will Bowen says. Complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. And that's true. Look at yourself. How often do you complain? How often are you discontent? Avoid allowing that attitude to pervade your life. Even in the small things. Because it begins in the small things and begins to grow. And that's how men and women do not finish well. Because discontent will eventually lead to apostasy. May this good reminder, even for me, help us to finish well. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder, even for me. It's so easy to look at what others have and not to be content with our lot in life. But you who are sovereign has given us what we need, not what we want. Sufficient to give us joy. The families that we have, the mothers, fathers we have, the children we have, the roof over our head. May a spirit of contentment permeate each of our lives so that we can finish well.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.